Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Granite Cornerstone Podcast, episode 19. I am your host, Tim Marat, and I am glad we were able to get this up and running. We just had some technical difficulties, but uh, with no further ado, allow me to introduce our guest for this evening. Uh, joining us is the Grand Lecturer of the Grand Lodge of New Hampshire, right, Worshipful Brother Chris Busby. Chris, welcome. You're on mute. It says press M to unmute. Boy, <laughs> can you hear you me ruined, now? You ruined the entrance, I Chris. ruined the intro. <laughs> All it's right. Gr it's great to be back, Tim. Thank you so much. Also joining us this evening is the worshipful master of Horace Chase Lodge, worshipful brother John Clover. John, welcome. Good evening, brethren. Uh, and joining us again this evening is the right worshipful has been, uh, right worshipful brother, Scott Newberry. Scott, how are you? Doing well, Tim. Always good to be back now, finally. Yes. Uh, well, that is, we have an interesting topic for tonight, considering uh, what's been going on with this podcast. We're going to talk about the topic of going dark. Uh, so obviously the podcast took a little bit of a break over the summer months, kind of reorganized, got ourselves some topics to discuss. Uh, but immediately following that, we've had a couple of uh, hiccups uh, that have prevented us from going live when we intended in September. And then last week, I was uh, pretty sick after a trip. And so we are finally back. We are no longer dark. So let's talk about going dark and what that means. Does that sound good? All right, let's do it. Great. So let's talk about what going dark means. Anybody want to start? What is going dark in a Masonic context, obviously? No, don't everybody jump at once. Scott, why don't, you, why, don't you, why don't you kick us off here, buddy? So Go for it, Scott. From a traditional standpoint, going dark means you're not going to have any meetings for a period of time. Most lodges that go dark in the New Hampshire jurisdiction, uh, it's July and August. There are a few that go dark in the winter months. Something about being cold and heating bills and those kinds of things. Uh, but a lot, most lodges traditionally go dark and don't have meetings during July and August. When you say most lodges, uh, do we have any idea of what that means as far as how many lodges are going dark in the summer, how many lodges may be going dark in the winter, or how many lodges do we have that don't go dark at all? There's a handful, I think, that go year-round. Uh, my mother lodge, the lodge I was raised in, is one of those lodges, St. John's over in Portsmouth. Mm -hmm. I know they meet year-round. And then there's a handful that go dark in the winter months. Uh, here in our jurisdiction, which, you know, district number two, uh we're we have one well we had a lodge excuse me they're no longer part of our district they move over district four but they they uh, go dark in july and in uh, january february primarily it's because of the heating and the bad weather uh, i know that my own lodge we frequently see G our january meeting poorly attended because it's usually ice storm season so uh but yeah i don't i at one point i i, I we took a look at the numbers i don't remember what they are off the top of my head uh but it's about a half a dozen or so i think it was uh, that go dark during the winter time, and then there's about a half a dozen or so that I think are in the same number category that don't go dark at all. So we've got a comment. It looks like a Morrison Lodge goes dark in January and February, and I know it's it's Jewel Lodge that goes dark in December, January, right? Mm -hmm. January, February, isn't it? Oh, January, it, February. Oh, it is January. January February. Yeah, was, January, February, oh. and they they install their officers in March. Oh, interesting. Lodge, I thought it was December, little, January. There's always a lodge, at least one lodge that does December, January, and for the life of me, I wouldn't be able to tell you who it was. Benevolent is year-round, uh, and they're a moon lodge, uh, yep. one of one of the last moon lodges we've got. And uh, and so it's interesting because, you know, I think that that <clears throat> idea of, of going dark has been misunderstood, I think, a little bit. You know, in, in the past, I've run into brothers who, and of their own free will and accord, uh, decided to uh, go dark in the summer, right? You know, they, they say themselves, look, I'm, you know, lodge is going dark and, and so am I, and I'm taking a break. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it's not always, uh, you know, stated meetings, right, that we're talking about. There's a whole bunch of other things going on in masonry. So uh, there is definitely a, a misunderstanding of, of what the purpose of going dark is and, and, and what we can do and can't do as a lodge. Well, yeah, so I've, John, you, mm -hmm. no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I've run into that in um, uh, my first year in the East at Horace Chase. Uh, every, when, when we go, because we go dark in the summer, uh, we're dark in July and August. And we had our, um, we had a joint master Mason degree that we held 
after Arjun stated and had at least one or two brothers come up after the stated saying, can we do that? Can we, we hold a special after you know, when we're dark? And like, uh, yeah, as far as I know, we can, there's nothing preventing us from doing that. Um, and out of uh, an abundance of caution, looked in, at the constitution to see if there's anything in there. And really all it says is there's no official going dark, just, you know, the, the lodges have to follow their schedules outlined in their bylaws. Yeah, I know for Rising Sun, our bylaws state no stated communications uh, in in July and August, mm -hmm. um, but that nothing prevents you from holding a special. And generally, your bylaws don't typically address special communications anyway, because of the very fact that they're special communications. Yeah. So outside, I think of giving due notice. You know, you got to let everybody know you're going to have the special communication. But other than that, there's usually nothing in the bylaws that say you can or can't. So. And let's let's be real. Okay, we've all sat in these before. Do notice is the most nebulous phrase I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Are we going to tack on another uh, another episode at the end uh, for do notice and what that? I, I don't know that it's a whole episode, but it's certainly <laughs> a meaningless phrase as far as I'm concerned. Sure. I've been told that a month isn't enough. I've been told that two weeks is fine. I've been told that a week is fine. I got no idea what do notice is. So. I think you got a lot of leeway there. And even the form of that communication. Does it have to oh, be in writing, true. in, in the, you know, right. snail mail? Can it be electronic? Can it be a text? Can it be a phone tree? Who knows? Yeah. Well, and, and, I, and I think, yeah. yeah, yeah well, why not and, and, you know, our constitution and, you know, sort of how we've approached masonry is, is, is fundamentally built on 18th century life. For, for the most part, you know, I mean, to think that we, you know, we do still have moon lodges and what is the purpose of a moon lodge so that you get as much, uh, you know, uh, moonlight out so that you can see uh, on horseback going home. Um, so we, we keep some of those traditions because it's, it's sort of one of these curious, uh, you know, vestiges of the past of Freemasonry. Which I would pay is a lot of what Freemasonry is, to be quite. I honest. would pay quite a bit of money to see the uh, members of Benevolent Lodge arriving to Lodge on horseback on a regular basis. I I think that I think that's a challenge. I I'd pay I, a fair amount of money to see that see it happen once. Yeah, <laughs> I think that would be great. I'm not going to pay any money. I just want the pay per view rights. Fair enough. <laughs> So we've got a comment from uh, Right Worshipful Brother Doug Pabst uh, in the chat saying, we go dark at Pulpit Rock in summer. Next year, he plans to have a special communication in July and August. We lose too much momentum without regular meetings. So I think that's really one of the things that, mm. one of the reasons I really wanted to talk about the concept of going dark, because I think there is a sacrifice that's made when you go dark. Obviously, it gives everybody a chance to take a break, decompress, have a little time off for masonry um, if it's needed, but getting back to masonry in September always feels like it's more difficult. So what do you, what do you guys think? John, I want to start with you. You're obviously a sitting master. You've got the most uh, recent experience of what it does to a lodge uh, yeah. going dark. So what are your thoughts on that, on the momentum aspect? I'm, I'm personally on the fence. Um, I've actually changed my opinion on the subject a couple of times. Um, early on, as an officer, uh, you know, as a steward and a deacon, for example, uh, I looked forward to going to dark to get a little bit of a break. Um, not that I felt like I was overwhelmed, but uh, it was expected because that was the lodge culture. And I looked forward to it the same as everybody else did. As I got closer to the east, um, particularly as a warden, uh, and I was pushing myself to be more involved so that the, uh, the, the slope to the east wasn't quite as steep for myself, um, I could really sense that loss of momentum coming out of darkness and uh, shifted to, gee, I think it would be better to, to keep going. But I, I honestly don't know. I mean, I think there are pros and cons to, uh, to both. Uh, there, there is definitely a loss of momentum, uh, and every every September stated, or even if we have a special coming out uh, prior to the stated, like a visitation or inspection, um, has been a little bit of a struggle getting things uh, going again. Because, well, you know, you got to get the flywheel moving again, and it's totally um, understandable. That said there's a bit of a benefit that I've, I've heard from brethren where they say they're looking forward to coming out of darkness. It's like th there's an anticipation 
uh, you know, that the absence of that monthly meeting for even just a couple of months gives us something to look forward to. Um, I don't know that that outweighs the loss of momentum, and maybe that loss of momentum can be made up for in other ways, you know, by having special communications. Um, you know, we try to do that by having specials, by uh, keeping like a, a weekly night of light going that that we do at Lodge. Um, we have yeah. brethren who visit other lodges. Uh, there, I mean, uh, you guys all know you're, you're all active, and there are many, many active brethren in the state. You can be Masonically active easily six nights a week if you want to throughout the course of the year. Um, so it's just, a, you know, uh, it's, it's a matter of personal prioritization as to how active you are. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily translate to the core of officers of a lodge, obviously. Yeah, I can say every every Mason's favorite song is Eight Days a Week" by the Beatles, um, <laughs> because you know we we try to fit that much into much less than that. To your point, John, I think I think sometimes we get we look at having a meeting as being business, and if if we're locked into the mentality of a meeting being business and that masonry should continue to happen throughout the year, right? And I, I think that that's sort of the difference, right? And I think it goes to what you said and what Right Wishful Pap said, which is you want to keep up that momentum. You want to still engage in, in, in masonry, but by eliminating all of the the technical and business aspects of, of masonry for a time allows you to be able to more definitively focus, perhaps, on on other aspects of Freemasonry, whereas you you might in those meetings have less time uh, to to focus that attention. And I think that's a, that's an interesting way to bring it up. I mean, we all know that the business part of a business meeting is it's pro forma. We really just kind of need to get through these things, make make sure we're doing the right things, make sure we meet the requirements of our bylaws. But then we want to get to the masonry, whether it's doing degree work, whether it's education. And I, I know we talk about this a lot as a, as a jurisdiction about making sure we're enriching those meetings, stated meetings, business meetings with masonry, right? But if we're not doing that, then all you miss by going dark is paying the bills and reading the minutes, which I can understand, you know, taking a break from that. So do we think, is there, you know, potentially a, a culture cultural change that we need to see happen. I know that we need to see it happen uh, anyway, but that would maybe take away that that desire to go dark by enriching our stating meetings and, and having those 12 meetings a, month, a year. Possibly. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that if you, if you have the right kinds of engagements, it can't all be, it has to be that balance, right? And I, I think, you know, we've talked about this before as, you know, sort of what, you know, the ideal sort of balance of what Freemasonry can offer and, and what every lodge is capable of being able to offer as a, as a program associated with their Masonic year. And I think that having those special moments that are, are, are fundamentally different, whether it's going to William Pitt Tavern and holding a meeting there, even if it's not a business meeting or having, you know, having another Masonic get together that is not necessarily a stated communication, but it keeps that momentum and you keeps that, uh, uh, you know, the fellowship and those various aspects. Again, Masonry is all of these things. It's education. It's, it's the ritual, it's the fellowship. And so I think if you keep engaging in that mix in those quieter times, and I, that's an air quotes, then, then I think you you keep all kinds of brethren engaged um, th throughout the course of of that time. Yeah, John, you mentioned you know still having evenings of light. Scott, I know Saint Mark's does a, a weekly rehearsal where everybody's getting together. It's not necessarily just degree rehearsal, but there's a lot of education. There's there's mentoring new members and things like that. Um, does that happen while you're dark? Do you still have those weekly meetings? So, it's kind of been up and down. I mean, it, a lot of it depends on the brethren that are active at the time. We've had some summer periods that you go through July and August and you'll have 12, 18 guys, you know, the wives will stop by, the, you know, the families will stop by and it turns into more of a fellowship than, you know, oh, we're going to do Masonic history or Masonic education. And then we've had other times where it's just three or four guys and then, you know, 
you go for an hour and say, okay, I think it's time for you to go. But those are fellowship touch points. And I think that's one of the things that gets lost a lot of times when lodges go dark is they don't realize, and, and you know, you, John, you mentioned it at the beginning, they don't realize it. You don't have to stop getting together. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I've had some personal experience where, you know, you go through, you know, the June meeting and when you close the June meeting, the June stated, you don't hear anything until a September trussel board comes out and, you know, there's nothing. Yeah. And the first time I, I encountered that myself, personally, I felt like someone had cut my left arm off. It's like, you know, what do you mean we're not doing anything? You know, mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's a very jarring change of pace when you suddenly go, all right, we're not doing anything. And I think one of the challenges you have is you need to look at the membership of your individual lodge. Do they want to get together and do stuff? You know, do they want to see each other? Do they, you know, as far as the business aspects go, a lot of it depends on how your lodge runs. You know, uh, you know, I know from my own personal lodge, we came up with a budget. We have things that are already itemized on the budget. And those items we voted on when we approve the budget. All right, we've approved the the rent payment for the next twelve months. Boom, you're done. You never bring it up again to the next budget session, right? Because it's already done. So we we eliminate a lot of those types of things. So it condenses the meeting down, even on a regular basis. So when you get to the summer months, if we were to have stated meetings, it wouldn't change a whole lot. We still be able to continue to roll. Um, I did see someone mention something about you know less formal attire during the summer months, uh, yeah. which would be kind of nice. You know, being able to leave the coat and tie at home. Uh, but I think. You know, having been in a situation where I've been in a year-round lodge, I've been in a lodge that goes dark, uh, I've been in a lodge that goes dark, but yet called special communications, like what uh, Doug Paps mentioned in the in the chat. Um, it's nice to have the consistency. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just nice to have the consistency, because what typically happens, and this is when you run into the you know get the flywheel started, as John mentioned, is when you lose touch with everybody. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I remember many meetings when everybody's been gone for a couple of months and the pandemic really showed it off. When we came back. From I was pandemic. I was just going to. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. We, we all kind of went dark for a year and yeah. boy, mm -hmm. getting the getting the, the, the wheels turning when we came back was really difficult for a lot of people. I mean, you got to yeah. think of it. That's the longest time being being dark um, Masonically that we've had probably since the anti-Masonic period. Uh, or perhaps a world war, and and that's that's pretty remarkable. And I think I think it's important to use the from what we've learned because I think we've all learned quite a bit about our own behavior, about Masonic behavior when it comes to these things, and and to take that information and and use it to how we engage on a monthly and yearly basis in a lodge. I think is 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 super important. If we don't. If we don't utilize some of that to make our decisions going forward, then I think we've 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 let a, an opportunity slip through our fingers. Yeah, I think we've got a lot more we've got a lot more data available at hand today than we did in the past when when these things happened. You know, we've got records, we've got you know the the secretary's notes of any times we may have had you know periods of darkness in, in the past, but now we've got the ability to see this impact across millions of masons across thousands of lodges and see what it's done. And, and I agree with you, Chris, I think that, you know, the, the pandemic really did give us the, the most expansive period of darkness that this fraternity's had in a while. And we need to be able to, to utilize the, the lessons we've learned. And if it's just a microcosm of two months, how do we take that tiny two months and turn that into, you know, recapturing momentum again in September, with the lessons we've just learned, you know, we should have learned these lessons. Hopefully we did. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll throw one out there. How many lodges held Zoom meetings just to kind of check in with each other or for a piece of education, but then stopped the practice after we started meeting again? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably all of them. Yeah. I would say probably would all say of them. 100% are close to it. There's other than like, other than the education, like stuff at the Grand Lodge level where, right. know, yeah. where, at Right Works Flagridge is doing some of his education online and things like that. Yeah, but mm -hmm. most lodges no longer do that. The community outreach stopped because, oh, we're meeting again. And I think that's one, that's one of the lessons that we didn't take away from the pandemic that we should have. Just because we're going dark and we're not having meetings doesn't mean we can't reach out to a brother. It doesn't mean we can't 
jump on a Zoom call or, or even just get together at, at the, you know, the local coffee shop and grab a cup of coffee and, and just get caught up. And that's, you know, since we don't have that restriction about you can't be meeting in person anymore. Mm-hmm. And that was interesting, you know, the way, John, uh, you brought up what do notice, you know, how you make do notice. Mm-hmm. When we went dark for COVID, my, my lodge, I was master at the time, we called every single brother on our roster to tell them that we were canceling. I think it was March's meeting that ended up getting canceled. And then we, you know, mm-hmm. we told them that we'd be sending out regular communications, which we did. And then we did a second calling campaign a little bit later on in the pandemic, I think around May timeframe. Um, and, and I think that was the only time we've ever reached out that way to every single member of the lodge. We found out that there were members of our lodge who were no longer with us as a result of that. Um, but it hasn't happened since. And I'm not saying that's, you know, the fault of the lodge, but we found other things to, to occupy our time. We were able to meet in person. So it's, it's interesting. We did learn a lot of lessons and I, I don't know that we took them to heart. It's, it's challenging. Uh, our lodge did very much the same thing as what you just described, Tim. Um, and I remember vividly coming out of COVID talking about how we were going to try to keep up with zoom meetings, not just, on the side because we were reconnecting with brothers that had moved away from uh, New Hampshire. Uh, But even having uh, part of our in-person stated meetings being broadcast via Zoom uh, so that they could participate. And pretty quickly we discovered, ooh, there's a dark side to this um, because it was now accessible from your couch, uh, which is great for somebody living 3,000 miles away, but we've only got say four or five bodies in the lodge. We have barely enough to actually open because half the brethren are staying home. Like, okay. This was a great idea, but maybe not the best. Um, so yeah. Definitely that's interesting. The, the lesson of, of keeping in touch with the brethren of lodge, uh, definitely spot on. Uh, I mean, in the eight, eight and a half years I've been a member, um, there have been, several times, basically every couple of years or so, I think, uh, there is a concerted effort to go through every brother on the uh, on the roster and reach out, just particularly those that we haven't seen in a very long time. The active members, not so critical, because you tend to see them much yeah. more often. Um, but you know, we did that through COVID as well. Um, and that needs to continue, of course, um, and not just because of COVID, but Hey, you know, you're a brother. Haven't seen you in a while. Are you okay? Uh, anything we could do for you? What's what's happening in your life? Um, that was actually uh, an enjoyable thing uh, for me in, in COVID was being able to talk to brother and I'd never even met before. Yeah, uh, I had a couple really, of those. Had some really nice conversations. Yeah. Uh, had one or two that were a little awkward as well. You know, like, why are you calling me? I haven't spoken to anybody from your lodge in 10 years. Like, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, Nice talking to you. But, but you know, it, it's interesting, You, Tim, you brought up the fact that when you were going through the calling tree, you found brothers who were no longer with us in that in that list. And, you know, I think that's the goes back to the whole individual going dark. Some guys go dark because they don't want to be involved anymore or they've got other things that have piqued their interest. But then we have other brothers that go dark because they've passed away. And we don't. And I think that's one of the areas where we miss as a law of a fraternity, we don't do enough for the, Hey, this brother's gone dark. We haven't seen or heard from him in three months or six months or whatever time frame you want to put on it. We probably need to reach out and find out what's going on. You know, instead of waiting for that, well, it's been two years. We're suspending it for non-payment of dues. Or, right. you know, when I was secretary, I got a letter from a widow saying, you know, my husband passed away, you know, thanks for the trestle board. You know, so it's like, it's, you know, you don't realize it a lot of times. Yeah. Well, so, Right Worshipful Andy Benner uh, asked a question about what our thoughts are about lodges communicating to brethren through the dark period. Um, and and I want to say, since I've, I've become a district officer, certainly, I've been getting access to more trestle boards. People now add me to their trestle board distribution lists. And the quality of trestle boards... Did, did you just say that you're a district Grand Lodge officer, Tim? I am, yes. I'm the Right Worshipful District Deputy Grand Lecturer of the 2nd Masonic District. All right. See, uh, so this is this serves as the official announcement that yes, to, uh, I, to our pretty, community. I'm pretty sure Grand Lodge served as the official announcement, <laughs> yes. but whatever. Actually, I wasn't there, so it didn't. Um, but oh, good start, good start, good yeah. start. But 
Sorry, I've been getting access to a lot of trestle boards, and I think the quality of communication on our trestle boards has gone up pretty significantly. Um, I just got uh, the notes from Pulpit Rock. Doug, uh, Doug Pabst sends, thank you, Doug, for your second and sends out an excellent uh, communication to his members. And I know when I joined the fraternity, the trestle board was functionally just here's a list of things that are going on. Here's the list of members who have birthdays. And there's no point sending that out during the summer. But having stepped up the quality of our trestle boards, I think to communicate more, to deliver messages from the East, messages from the other officers and talk about things that are going on in masonry, I think that we now have a very valid reason to continue that process during during the summer months or the winter months, whatever it is your dark period is. Um, what do you guys think about that? What, what do you do you find value in getting a monthly trestle board? What do you think is the most valuable aspect of it? Absolutely. I mean, it's that, that was another positive, I would say, uh, for us coming out of COVID. Um, well, net positive. We'll put it that way. The the small mom and pop outfit that was handling mailing our trestle boards out went under. Uh, as a result of COVID. Actually, I should say they took advantage of the situation to retire. So it didn't kill the business so much. It was, eh, all right, this is really slow. Yeah, let's just go ahead and retire. And we decided at that time, it, it was it was too much of a, of a hassle to try to find a new printing outfit. And, and during COVID, it, it didn't really make sense. So we started just exclusively emailing. And said, so, well, hey, if we're going to email it, let's update the format of the uh, of the trestle board instead of having a, a trifold flyer, make it uh, you know multi-page with graphics and just more information, a, a full-size calendar, all this kind of stuff, and it's really grown uh, from just here's what's going on and it, exactly what you described, Tim. Uh, now we have a full master's message, which you know, I'm writing them now, and so, sometimes they are inspiring. Um, not always easy to come up with an inspirational message. Um, I always include what's going on, not only for the lodge, but within the districts, within the jurisdiction, uh, even touching on some of the appendant bodies, what's going on there, because uh, we have brethren that are you know, belong to all those. Um, uh, there's a, a Masonic poem, you know, there's a, there's a history thing. There's just lots of Masonic stuff uh, to try to I don't want to say keep interest because it makes it sound like if I don't do that, then there's going to be a waning interest. But the feedback I get is a lot of guys really like that. They look forward to getting that every month. It keeps them really interested. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, well, I mean, especially when we're dark. Yeah, I, I think that it's keeping engaged. It, that's what it yeah. is. It's getting a, just a, a little ping. That the lodge is still there. Mm -hmm. And if you include valuable information, I think that there's a there's a, a lot of value that brothers are going to get from it. Even yeah. even if you don't necessarily include all those pieces that you mentioned, John, even if you just include a couple of pictures of brothers from the lodge getting together and doing stuff, you'll find people are interested in getting it. Oh, yep. yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a wealth of stuff you can do. Uh, and not even just through trestle boards. You know, we have a Facebook page that we post things on. There is a fair amount of overlap, but not entirely. Um, so brethren who are more social media oriented, you know, they, they can get uh, some information there and it's, you know, different than what they might get on the trestle board. There's even a weekly notes from the East that goes out. That's almost like a stripped down trestle board. Um, there's and I, and lots think, of ways yeah. to keep engaged. And that's, and that your point right there is so very important because that often always, well, almost always. Often almost, always. Often always. Those are words. Um, yeah, they don't go together, but they're words. Yep. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Careful, you should lost him. Oh, sure. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's important. consequences now. Uh, <laughs> but um, no, I, I think it's it, it provides a good way to involve other brethren too, because I think yeah. one of the things that that ends up happening is is that you might you know John, you know you might be very good at engaging brethren in 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 those ways, whether it be by print or digitally or calling everyone, but it's not. Uh, it's not, it's not in everyone's wheelhouse. So, so building, you know, even though a lot of that has to do with the master's direction and some of this will be handled by the secretary, but creating sort of a communications uh, group within your lodge, I think is very important to make sure to that you get all of those pieces sort of lined out and you know that somebody has, has a, has a piece of that and can run with it. 
Um, yeah. And that's, you know, look, we've, you know, even, even among us, you know, with the communications committee, we've, we've seen how that go, you know, how that works and how, sometimes how that doesn't. Shameless plug. Um, <laughs> no, hardly, but you know, you just, I, I just think, you know, you've got to identify those opportunities to be able to involve those guys that have that interest and expertise and knowledge enough to be able to say, you know what, this is your piece of this, you know, to keep, keep guys engaged. And, and I want you to be responsible for that. Um, especially with, with the younger brothers keeps them involved. And in the, uh, the offshoot of that is that it keeps everyone you know, engaged. Well, I, I think it's, imp- it's important to also keep in mind that when you do that, while the master may delegate that to somebody else who has the talent and the, de- and the desire to work on it, it also needs to be understood that you're not giving it away and having someone else do all the creative work on it. You know, there's an expectation that other people are going to contribute to it, yeah. but someone else is going to run with it. And I think that's one of the things that we kind of miss out on is a lot of times we'll say, oh, so-and-so is going to handle the, the trestle board going forward. And then everybody looks at them three months later and go, why have we seen a trestle board yet? Well, and- yes, right. <laughs> there has to be direction and discussion and, you know, communication, uh, you know, uh, amongst the members of the team. You know, uh, without that, that it, if it ends up landing on on one brother's shoulders, even if that's the secretary, it's you know, uh, it's hard. It um, is. You know, it's it's been... becoming increasingly difficult to to manage all of these all of these things as a, as a secretary or as a master because we just, you know, I think we're involved in more things now and and have to be responsible for more things perhaps than we we have in the past just because of 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 the time that we live in. Um, so. Let me ask this question then, right? So we're talking about the master and secretary being involved in all these things. Do we need a break? Is that something that you felt when you were sitting in the East or or Chris and Scott, I know you've recently sat as secretaries. Did you guys need a break? Did, Did going dark provide you a little bit of a respite? That maybe everyone doesn't get to see the need for. <laughs> As secretary, you bet. Absolutely. Secretary, I'm not I, I, I will agree with Chris. Having a break in the summer as both secretary and master, because, you know, having sat as master as well, um, I will say would have been nice. Because in both cases, my Masonic year didn't slow down when the summer hit. It kept right. on going. Um, you know, there was just, there was just, when I was master, there was we were in the middle of a cultural shift, so there was always stuff to that needed to get done. And when I was secretary, it just seemed like the the emails and phone calls just never stopped. It might slow down a little bit, but it just never truly stopped. So how do we balance that? How do we balance the? And let's face it, right? The lodge officers are putting in time and effort that is largely unrewarded, right? Uh, and how do we balance the need to give those guys a break with the desire to still pursue Masonic activities during those times? I think I think you like like I just mentioned, and I think where John was going too is that if you have somebody that you can you can you can delegate to during those times to be able to say this is sort of our you know going dark committee so that we can have you know have events that you know obviously with the with the master involved in the discussion, but but give that ownership uh, to the other officers or, or to the other officers and the brethren of the lodge to help be able to execute on, on those types of activities and have it not be the master. And I think, or just all the master, because when it becomes all the master, then it's all the things that the master wants to do. Yeah. And, and, and that's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And, and it's sort of a natural outcropping of what we do is that, you know, we're running the show, the mat, it's the master's, it's the Brethren's Lodge, but it is the Master's Lodge as far as governance is concerned. That everything has to be done by the Master, and and you it doesn't, the and I, or the Secretary, and so um, yes, the secret actual leader of the Lodge, right? Yeah. Um, but that that sort of being able to plan ahead to delegate those things to be able to provide oversight yet continue that engagement, you know, I think is is the key to help alleviating some of that that i don't want to say pain but you know additional additional work without being able to have a little bit of respite so from the business aspects we've been talking about going dark in the context of new hampshire lodges and i know this is a new hampshire podcast and we're majority new hampshire masons 
watching. But we, as as a jurisdiction, tend to meet on a monthly basis um, with a dark period of maybe two months. There are, or there is at least one lodge in this jurisdiction that meets less frequently. Mm-hmm. So Phoenix, I know, meets less frequently than monthly. Is is monthly meeting the right way to do things? I know, John, when we were talking about this uh, months ago, prepping for this call, mm-hmm. you brought up English masonry, where those lodges yeah. tend to meet less frequently. So mm-hmm. we've certainly decided that monthly meetings with a dark period is the, the majority uh, way to handle this. It's the way we've always done it. But is meeting monthly... Uh, hey, listen. <laughs> it had to be said at some point tonight because we know that's part of the motivation. But is that the right way to do it? Is is there an argument to be made for not going dark, but keeping a regular meeting scheduled once every other month, once a quarter, once a moon cycle, whatever it is? Is there an argument for that? Well, I, I don't think there's any single right answer. Um there's not going to be a one size fits all, of course. Um, it, it's interesting, you know. Of course, you bring up like Phoenix Lodge meets essentially every other month. Um, it's not quite true, but they they meet six times a year, generally mm-hmm. spread out every other month. Um, English lodges meet, I think, on average about four, maybe five times uh, a year. Um, I was sh- surprised when I went to visit a lodge in. Um, West Virginia to learn that they meet twice a month. Twice a month, with, yeah. With a no lot darkness. of those lodges do. Yep. And for it, them, it's twice it's, a month for business. No, well, they have stated communications twice a month, huh. but the way they typically do it is like what my daughter's Rainbow Assembly does, where one of those meetings is generally strictly business, and the other one is strictly. Um, I don't want to say masonry because that's a little too nebulous, but, uh, but more not, ritualistic. not business. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, not not business. So it's it's education, it's degree work, something like that. They don't they don't blend the two together, but they always have both of those meetings. Um, like, wow, how could how could you meet that many times a year? That seems crazy. Um, and that just kind of highlighted to me. I'm used to the way I do it at my lodge, and that's what's comfortable. Um, and when I think about say meeting less a la Phoenix or say English lodges, the best I can do for myself is relate that to say the the frequency with which my York right bodies meet, which is similar to that. And it doesn't feel like enough to me. There's not enough opportunity yeah. to get real Masonic education. Um, we don't have a lot of business to speak about. So it's not like the meetings really uh, weighed down with business, but it, it's, it's like we get halfway through the year and we've barely scratched the surface in any education. If I feel like if we were to do that in Blue Lodge, we would never advance personally as Masons. That's just my, my personal feeling. Everybody makes their Masonic journey at their own pace, of course. Um, so I, I don't want to paint all brethren with that same brush. Um, and it, it's going to sound a little bit like a cop-out to say that, well, it just depends on the, on the culture of the lodge, but ultimately it really does. You know, if you've got a really uh, energized set of brethren who want to honestly keep going month in month out and and love keeping that flywheel going and just want to see how things progress and can keep it going then great that's what they should be doing if you have a different group that wants to only meet four times a year and that's what works for them who are we to say that it's not the right way well i think when you look at a lodge that meets less frequently you have to then start to pull things out of that state of communication that we all are normally expecting to hear, you know, things like the business aspects, you know, whether it's, you know, the bill paying the secretary's minutes, you know, planning the next dinner or next event, whatever it is, all that stuff gets dealt with outside of the business meeting. And then the business meeting can be much shorter. The other, so you've, you're essentially doing all of the same work. You're just not trying to do it during that, you know, that, three-hour marathon meeting once a month right you know the other piece that you have to look at too is a lot of lodges you know if they're meeting less frequently for business are doing a lot more socially so they're seeing the brother during. you know you might meet once every three months but during those two months where you don't have any business meeting there's other events that they're doing they're you know they're you know the table lodges the social gatherings the you know even just meeting for coffee those are going on and that's something a lot of lodges don't do when we meet monthly you know 
uh, I'm sure we've all seen it. You know, the eat, meat, flee. You know, it's there, there's there's lodges out there that do that. You know, uh, but you know, it's one of those things where I think we miss out on the social aspects of the fraternity, and that's regardless of what how often you meet. And I think that's the glue that keeps a lot of those lodges that meet less frequently together. It's the social aspects of the of the lodge. I mean, I can't disagree with that. I think that. I definitely think you're right in that there is less incentive to do those things if you're meeting monthly uh, because you you feel like you see those guys a lot. Um, so I think that's that's an interesting approach to it, Scott, that I didn't really consider. I mean, I, I tend to agree with John in that I don't think it's enough time, right? But if we're not meeting as often, does that give us opportunity to do other things at other times? And I think that's a, that's a really interesting idea that I hadn't considered prior to this. Well, take a look at what we do with St. Mark's, you know, even during the summer months, during when we're even meeting the Sunday night sessions. In fact, I'm missing a Sunday night session tonight because I'm on the podcast, but you know, these are regular things that are happening. And a lot of times we'll say, Oh, we're going to get together. We're going to work on X piece of ritual. And there have been many nights where the ritual books don't ever actually get opened. It ends up being a fellowship evening instead. Well, as district deputy grand lecturer of your lodge, I disagree with that approach completely. But I will, I will relay that to the master. <laughs> Let's not bring second district business into this now. Um, so, <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying is, is that yeah. you know, just, because, just because you have a set idea of what you're going to do when you're not meeting. It doesn't mean it has to stay that way. You know, the, the decisions get changed and adapted as you're going along. And the lodge will find a rhythm. You know, when we first started off um, dealing with the weekly uh, rehearsals, when I, when I was master, we did a weekly rehearsal because we were getting prepared for our visitation, which when I was master, visitation included a full degree. Uh, so it was, it was a long night. You had to be prepped. You had to know what you were doing. And there's a lot of times where we get together to do a, a run through with the, some of the major players, usually four or five of us were together every Sunday night, but it ceased being the let's go to the lodge room and kind of walk through stuff and start. Then we started doing, well, what, why is this important? And we had that conversation and there were many, many Sundays where the gathering was held out on the front porch of the temple. Those that enjoyed their cigars could enjoy their cigars and we talked masonry and we would run through a few lines to make sure that we're touching base with what we need to for the ritual. But it was just a, a solid social, you know, fraternal type gathering that everybody enjoyed that could be there. And I saw the same thing happened, you know, shortly before the pandemic hit, took us all away. But we had one night, we had probably 12, 15 guys sitting out on the front porch, all with our, you know, folding chairs out there and, and having a good time and, and, not just dealing with ritual pieces, but also the other aspects of the fraternity and just catching up as individuals. I, I think. The, oh, go ahead, Jen. So I was going to say, other than the cigars, you just described our weekly night of nights of light. Um, it's I, exactly what we do. Uh, we have there, there's a common core of brethren who show up all the time, and there are others who don't come quite as often. But it's fascinating to see. Uh, what happens at every one of those um, one night, it might be strictly ritual. I mean, we might actually go through an entire lodge opening and closing just with whoever happens to be there. You know, who wants to be senior warden, who wants to be junior deacon, you know, whatever it is. Um, some guys who aren't even necessarily interested in holding a chair, but love to learn ritual and, and talk about it more and we'll just go through it. Or we'll, we'll get deep into philosophical discussions. Uh, we've done that even with prospective candidates, uh, you know, touching on some of the more, elevator speech uh, stuff about you know what is masonry and then getting into the philosophical components of it um just i'm i'm thinking of one prospective candidate offhand who was deep into that which is why we got down that particular rabbit hole uh but even just playing a couple hands of cribbage yeah <laughs> whatever it is it's just oh here's here's who's here tonight well let's do this you know what's everybody want to do maybe you get know a what? pizza <laughs> i think that you know, we're going to be wrapping this up, but one of the things that I, I think has come out of this discussion really is the idea that masonry, and I don't want to say the idea came out of this conversation because this should be obvious to many people, but masonry is not just sitting in an open lodge. You know, lodge doesn't need to be open for you to conduct masonry. And 
I think that that's what you can do when you go dark that really allows you to take advantage of that time, give people the, the break they need, maybe reduce your heating and cooling bills, uh, which we know are, are part of the problem, part of the conversation every time, but still allow people to get together and do Masonic things uh, just maybe in a different way. And I think that that's, that's a very strong message that we've been talking about is there's always an opportunity to get together. It doesn't need to be sitting in lodge. It doesn't need to be business. It doesn't need to be education. It doesn't need to be ritual. You just need to keep engaged with your brothers. Well, masonry doesn't end and begin at the lodge door. No, no, no. Well, I think it begins there, but it sort of does begin there. Yeah. yeah I, th I think there's, a, I <laughs> well, think there's a lot of times that we talk about it, that it does begin there. Right. But I love how we all had that same thought. <laughs> When I was looking at it from the perspective of, uh, you know, it doesn't, you don't start and end all of your Masonic interactions by going through the law. No, absolutely no. not. And, and I, you know, I think that's a very. It, it's something that a lot of Masons have to understand. Masonry isn't just what happens in the lodge room, you know, and it, it's, it's a bigger picture than that. And until you realize that it's a bigger picture than that, the thing types of things that we've been talking about don't mean as much you know, it's like, oh, I understand what you're saying, but, you know, right. versus the, I understand what you're saying, and, you know, it's a big difference between those two statements. Yes, and. I love it. Uh, so, guys, I really appreciate y'all taking the time to join me tonight and, and kind of have this conversation. This has been great. Um, I want to just go around and, and get any final thoughts that anybody might have. I think this has been a very good conversation, and I think, I think we really kind of hit the nail on the head there at the end that, masonry happens wherever two men are together who are masons you know um and it doesn't need to be with a, a bible open in front of you you can conduct the business of masonry outside of a lodge so i think that's a great message uh from tonight's conversation but let's go around the room scott any final thoughts well for me the final thought would be you know going dark is just a term it doesn't have to be a state of mind it doesn't have to be what your lodge does and it's just a term that got picked up somewhere along the line because you don't have a state of communication. So it really, it's a disservice in my opinion. You know, it's your dog is just not having state of beings. It's not doing business meetings for a couple of months. That doesn't mean you have to stop getting together. And I think that's the big thing to take away from this. Going dark is just a term. And, you know, like so many other things in our lives, you can choose how much emphasis you want to put on it. And my opinion is don't stop, just keep going. Chris, how about you? Yeah, one one thing, uh, not to recap anything I already said, but one thing that um, that I, I take away from this and, and want to, you know, just sort of put a fine point on is look at your bylaws, look at the Constitution, right? Understand what it is that you can and can't do, because you you, you as lodges, as masters, as, as as groups of brothers have a lot of ability to be able, if you want to change, if you want to go to six times a year, if you want to go to 12 times a year, if you want to go to more, you have the ability as a lodge to be able to do that. And there are lodge traditions. And obviously, you know, those, those can be very important and very weighty. But, you know, definitely, if you want to make a change in how you, uh, how you meet, and you want to codify it, you can do that, but you don't have to, right? Uh, as, as was mentioned, you've got a lot of opportunities to be able to continue masonry, whether or not you're having a business meeting. So, so do it. That's, that, that's a great point. I think we, we kind of opened with that with John's conversation about people asking yeah. if we could even have specials. So that's yeah. right. Yeah. Read the bylaws. Great, great point, Chris. John, take us home. I concur all around. Um, in fact, I was reading a, a comment from Most Worshipful Aronson about uh, there's no such thing as going dark. Um, I, I would disagree slightly with that, only in, in the sense that I would consider going dark to be actually disconnecting completely, um, which lodges have done, unfortunately. I would consider getting losing one's charter. <laughs> That's that is purely going dark uh, but even for an individual to go dark would be to cut off all masonic connection which would be very sad um uh, for me for a lot I, I don't like to use the term and maybe i think that's what most worshipful aronson was going for uh if we want to take a break by our bylaws and say yeah we're gonna just not have stateds for a couple of months or 
we're going to meet every other month, or whatever it is, because that's what we as the Brethren of a Lodge want, want to do. By all means, uh, you know, that, that's what the, the, the culture of the Lodge should dictate. But stay connected, stay engaged. Um, you know, everyone should be doing masonry as, you know, works for them. Uh, for me, it's multiple nights a week. Uh, for others, it's once every couple of months. But it's what works for them. Yep. And I think the Grand Master just kind of hit it on the head with his last comment that he just put in the, in the Facebook. Some of the best and most introspective Masonic conversations I've ever had were over coffee, in the car, and working in the lodge on a building project. There's a lot of ways to, to practice what we do. And I think oh, yeah. it's incumbent on you to take every advantage. And, and like you know, Chris said, read your bylaws, find out what you can and can't do, and do whatever you want that it fits within in the structure of those bylaws. Build the lodge culture you want. Build your Masonic experience the way you want. And it will pay you back tenfold. So I, I appreciate, again, you guys joining me tonight. I appreciate our audience for joining us. Uh, and I appreciate everybody for your patience as we've been kind of dealing with, you know, some some very weird things the last couple of months. But uh, we're glad to be back and, and we're looking yes. forward to delivering uh, premium Masonic content uh, as we move forward. So Tim, how can, how can people get a hold of us? I'm going to steal it right from Scott. Well, I was going to ask when our next <laughs> podcast is. And, and our next podcast is the last, or excuse me, the fourth, uh, Sunday in November, which will be the 27th, the 27th. You are correct. And if that. you direct your attention to the screen, our email address is now popped up for everybody. Cause it is officially a caption so that Scott can stop bothering me. <laughs> Well, it was Chris's turn this week. Yeah, whispering I, I, good counsel. Whispering good counsel next month. I'm really oh, looking me. forward to this oh, one. Good. So Scott's not bothering. He's, he's whispering good counsel, and I appreciate. No, it. that's the subject of the next podcast, Tim. I know, but I, we're getting started. We're 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 seeing we'll conversation. We're, we're, yeah, segue we're for ready. next okay. month. All, All right. Have time. a good night, everybody. Thank <laughs> you so much for joining us, and we will see you again on the 27th of November. See you next month, my brethren. Take Thanks. care. Good night.